Hey everyone, it is your host of the soon-to-be-named podcast, Mr. Justin Stapleton. I'm still here, highly caffeinated, ready to go on uh, day eight of uh, my work week. I'm not sure that equals five, <laughs> but that's how it happens in the uh, news business here, gang. I am uh, joined once again, uh, flanked to my left here, from uh, Sports Talk 610, just got off of his show. Yeah, yeah. We're here with uh, Sean Pendergast. Sean, thanks for joining us again. It's good to be here again. Thanks for having me. All right. And we have, as always, uh, KPRC2's finest, Adam Wexler. Stole him just uh, minutes ago from the uh, sports department. I'm going to get ready for one of those eight or nine or ten day work weeks when I get to make the trip to West Virginia yes. to cover the Texans later on during training you camp. do, sir. Also, Wex also taking a trip uh, later this week. We'll get to that. That's what Hours we call from it. now, as a matter Hours of fact. Hours from now, that's right. We call that a tease in the TV business. So, uh, what we want to talk about, speaking of West Virginia, beautiful White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, which if you've not been there, uh, it is actually quite pretty up there. I'm going this week, or this Sunday, I leave for my week in West Virginia. There we go. I'm so hearing you, good things. Yes, it, it's gorgeous. I, I actually used to live out on the East Coast in Baltimore and spent some time there a couple times at the Greenbrier Resort. You say, why are we learning about that? Well, guess what, ladies and germs? That means Texans training camp. First mm-hmm. day kicked off yesterday, day two today. So we're going to break down uh, some of the expectations that the Texans have and also what we might see. Uh, not only just throughout training camp here, uh, but as we get into the season as well. So let's sort of uh, get the big elephant in the room started here, gentlemen. The first part that I want to ask about is Texans in the draft moved up, as a lot of folks, I believe, thought they would. But I don't necessarily think many folks did, and they certainly didn't think they would be in a position to get a uh, high-caliber quarterback like they did in Deshaun Watson. So, Sean, let me start with you. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what are your expectations? What do you need to see from Watson as his first training camp gets underway? Um, well, expectations, I'm, I'm not totally sure yet because we've only seen him in, you know, shells and in OTAs and minicamp. But the things that I'll say this, I think Bill O'Brien is being more effusive in his praise for Deshaun Watson than we, than we would have expected him to be for the, the normal rookie. Um, just in terms of his ability to pick up the offense, he seems to have picked it up pretty quickly. Um and but I think I think O'Brien's handling the whole thing the right way in saying Savage is our starter, but he's definitely leaving wiggle room for it to be a competitive situation. I think the the thing I'll be most interested in seeing as training camp unfolds is is Tom Savage getting treated like the normal starting quarterback in terms of how the reps are divvied out with the ones? Is Deshaun Watson getting mixed in with some upper tier personnel against some upper tier personnel um, in in practice situations? Um, I expect Deshaun Watson's going to look better than any young quarterback that they've had come through there because he is better than any, way better than any young quarterback they've had come through there. And I do expect it to be a situation where we're talking about the competitiveness of the situation. And my, if I were O'Brien, one of my to-dos would be, you know, at night when you're going breaking down film or just sort of thinking this thing through. And I'm curious what Wex thinks of this, but I, I would be, I would have in mind just a be constructing a Deshaun Watson friendly version of this vaunted system that we keep hearing about. Cause I, you know, we're three years in and nobody's been able to master the system yet. Mm-hmm. So you start to wonder how much of it is the system and how much of it is the player. But I, I get the feeling like if Deshaun Watson shows, if he, if we see that the stage isn't too big for Deshaun Watson, then my feeling is going to be, I think is going to be that I'd rather have Deshaun Watson running the portions of the playbook that Bill O'Brien feels he's really good at 
if that's 40% or 50%, whatever that is, right. than Tom Savage and him having been in there three years running the entire thing. Right, and running it at, at let's say, a 60% effectiveness rate when yeah. you have Deshaun Watson that can bump that number to 80 It's whatever gives you the best chance to win, but I have a feeling like Deshaun Watson running, and which we've seen with rookie quarterbacks before, Russell Wilson mm-hmm. and guys like that, is that they're just more talented, so let's find something that fits them and get the talented guy out there if we feel like mentally right. and psychologically he's ready to go. Similar with the Cowboys at W. Day, uh, Prescott last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, they were forced into doing that because right. of injuries, but you you but, but one once they realized yeah, that, that's yeah, no, the, the playbook they ran for him was a was a very Dak friendly playbook. Of course, he had an offensive line that was a, 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 it was park a bus to Dak friendly yeah. offense when the other rookie is as good as Ezekiel Elliott is, yeah, and the five right. guys in front of you. I mean, in any given season, you could almost make an argument that four of those guys are among the two or three best at their individual positions, and now they're on the same line, right. and you have a one eighty from that going on in Houston, and it's even worse when you consider Dwayne Brown both isn't there to begin camp, and it's highly unlikely to show up in the next few days or even weeks, although to me it's almost a given he's going to start game one. Right. I just don't think we're going to see a whole lot of him here uh, at the Greenbrier. So here's my question then, Wex. Let's piggyback off of that. Read earlier today uh, some questions that were raised at camp about are they concerned, you know, or or what what did I read? It was... uh, is there any contract problem with Dwayne Brown? <laughs> and he said, you know, and the answer was, Dwayne Brown's under contract with us. We don't see any contract problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, sort of a, these, these aren't the droids the you're circular, looking for. I think yeah, that out yeah, a circular yeah. discussion coming yeah. out of Rick Smith's mouth was almost comical. I, I understand what he, essentially he's saying, but if a player's under contract and he's not there, well, that is what a contract dispute is. In, unless he's trying to hide some other ridiculous mystery reason for why Dwayne Brown missed all all of their off-season workouts, both involuntary and mandatory, or voluntary and mandatory, and now is not uh, the only player. He's the only player that didn't make the trip. He's the one who obviously has a situation. He signed an extension uh, for six years. He's played through the first four years of that deal. He had already earned all the guaranteed portion of that money even prior to the beginning of this season, but now it's all non-guaranteed. Even though he's set to make about $19 million, it's pretty easy to say, well, clearly he's going to make it this year. He's going to be on the Texans this year. He's their best lineman. He has no uh, possibility of being removed from the roster, although he could get hurt. Right. The following Which we've season, seen in the past couple yeah, of years, he has no guarantees beyond that. Uh, he missed, uh, you know. Luckily for the Texans, his game time missed was limited because of the timing of his injury. He got hurt at the end of the year, and it only cost him four games, few games on the front side of this past year. But then when he came back, he once again proved, even at his age and his stage of his career, he's the best lineman they have. They have to hope Nick Martin comes along very well. I I found it totally ridiculous that some of the national, the stuff we've already gotten out of the national media who happens to be on site at the Greenbrier is just a total comedy show, and it is all the time. They pay so little attention to them. The, the one guy even said, you know, Dwayne Brown, he probably wants more money, and then jokingly says back to the reporter who's there, hey, he probably wouldn't mind too much if one of the quarterbacks gets, uh, gets hit and gets hurt and you know makes his case a little stronger. <laughs> I'm sure Dwayne Brown is sitting at home, yeah. 10 years with this franchise, first time he's ever had maybe two franchise quarterbacks in right. the same locker room with him. He's sitting there thinking, man, if one of them could just get hurt because my best friends on the team, the O-line, screw up. That's what he's sitting there hoping for, yeah. so he can get a couple more bucks. It, it, Couldn't be more ridiculous. That's yeah. what some people think and then say. And, and doesn't that just kind of lead itself, Sean, back to when you hear, uh, you know, people say that and they say, "Oh, well, you know, that O line doesn't like playing for that quarterback." 
Look, you know, all of that aside, like you're not going to sit there and open the door so that, you know, your teammate's going to get killed at that point. You know, that's, that's the, the kind of stuff, stuff that drives me nuts. maybe yeah. you would see from Bubba and Jethro if they didn't like Inessa back there with T.D. Parker behind him on first and 10. <laughs> maybe from a TV right. program, maybe you'd see it in the program on, yeah. the, on the big screen. You're not going to see that on an NFL team. We know offensive linemen have been disgusted by their quarterback before. Uh, we saw it in this city, the very first go around with a quarterback. But it's not like those guys were saying, come on, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right. You go inside and you got him. To the defensive players, yeah. they were lined across from. It may have looked like that, but it was not intentional. <laughs> well, because the very dynamic that has Dwayne Brown holding out is the one that has these guys playing, and, and not just offensive linemen, I think any NFL player, always wanting to put good film out there. You know, the last thing you want is film out there of you doing a you know a matador job right. uh, or, or even playing poorly, you know, even if you make it look quote unquote make it look good so yeah that's it's uh it it's pretty preposterous and, and this whole conversation started with the thought of the quarterbacks which is obviously a huge focus mm-hmm. of what we'll discuss and everybody will be talking about uh, on air and, and you'll see from uh, randy and myself over the course of time we're there at camp is, is quite honestly i think most of the quarterback decision making that the coaches will make will come from the games and and you don't want to put too much stock in preseason in most years but this particular season, I think it is a little bit different because of the the makeup of this quarterback group. I mean, Brandon Whedon, as of the beginning of camp, is clearly the number two quarterback based on how they've used him, how he gets his reps, and, and how this quarterback room shakes out. But you really don't need to see a whole lot of him in the preseason. You, you need to see a little bit more than normal out of your number one, Savage, and you're going to get a ton of work for your number three, All and, you know, especially in those first two games when Watson has a realistic shot to move himself up the depth chart. He can run the offense flawlessly in practice. He can look good throwing spirals and, and, and making his throws and reading his defense as well in practice. But when he gets out there against a Panthers defense, against a Patriots defense in the preseason, that's when you'll figure out as a coaching staff – is he checking these boxes of how quickly is he going through progressions? Is he making the right decision? Is our team keeping the football? Because that's a huge thing for Coach O'Brien. And he'll evaluate Tom Savage the very same way. Because keep in mind, while Savage is back for a fourth season, his first team reps are zero as a Texan up until very, very late last year. And even that was limited because of his own injury. So he spent so much time off the field and so little time even on the practice field working with the ones over the years. He knows the offense. But executing it in a game situation, he's done it against third and fourth stringers for three straight preseasons. Yeah, and at game speed, it's going to be very different as well. So let's go to the playbook for a second mm-hmm. here, Sean. The, you'd mentioned before, third year now that, that you know Bill O'Brien comes into the Texans here is supposed to be this offensive guru. You know, a guy yeah. runs this amazing system. Yep. And, and you know what? Tom Brady got this system. <laughs> if Tom can do it, anybody can do it here, right? So he's going to be able to transfer. But we've noticed we've had – Wildly different quarterbacks and different styles of quarterbacking yeah. as well over the last three years. None of them have mastered it. So here's my question then. Does Coach O'Brien finally say, you know what, I'm going to give a little here and I'm going to let someone like as a dynamic, let's, you know, I'm going to jump the shark here mm-hmm. and just say, all right, Deshaun Watson's playing week seven, week eight, something okay. like that, okay? So if that's the case, does he lessen the reins on him and let some of his athleticism take over in decision making versus you've got to stay within this system Man, I, I would hope so i mean I, you, you've got because i would think that's what everybody wants to see that's yeah, why you draft this kid right? yeah well and it and and if you you know if you're not if you're not incorporating things that that mix that part of his game 
you know, in, into the into the playbook or you know into the the whole stew that the the that Chef O'Brien is putting together there, then you're you're uh, it's detrimental to the team. You know, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. So yeah, I mean, I I would expect that O'Brien has some things in mind for Watson that he doesn't have in mind for Savage. I you know, there's part of me that thinks just. When O'Brien, I don't know that it ever feels like you get a happy Bill O'Brien during the season, but the, the sense I get is that O'Brien, when he's been at his best as the head coach of the Texans, have been those situations where he's really had to kind of pull out the, you know, the the, the cerebral armor, you know, the cerebral weapon, so yeah. to speak, and, and work in those triage situations where quarterbacks get hurt and we got to coach this guy up and get him ready in a week or get this guy ready in two weeks or get these backups ready and things like that. And he's done a really good job at that. There's part of me that thinks that there's something that appeals to that side of Bill O'Brien that going outside of whatever this, whatever the system is that we hear about all the time, like that, that constructing something that's Watson specific would, would seem to um, appeal to, to Bill O'Brien at the end of the day, he's going to do whatever gives the team the best chance to win. Like that part, I feel like you get a lot of lip service from coaches and even probably from O'Brien on certain things. Like that is the one thing I do believe. Like, I don't think he's going to put Watson out there because he feels like there's pressure to start Deshaun Watson or anything. Like he's going to assess the situation and, and start the guy that gives him the best chance to win. I just hope that he's looking for a way to make Watson that guy as as early on as possible now the line is a concern like that's you know throwing him out there behind that offensive line is a concern but if he if you clearly have a solution where what Deshaun Watson in some flavor gives you the best chance to win I still think you need to put him out there um, whenever you feel that time is Wex so let's go to the line for a second given that the line has had some Swiss cheese characteristics at times um, you know and you've had this past season a Brock Osweiler not necessarily known to be able to scramble big large but can't move as quickly as he may need to does Watson give that line a bit of a pass if I can say that I don't know if that's the right word but does it buy him some time to almost be able to produce uh, plays or continue plays on his own and give receivers give a Fedorowicz time to break off of a route and then you've got almost more like a Green Bay type backyard football which you know clearly is is effective up there and I don't necessarily say the Texans would be able to rise to that standard I think we're talking be, a difference between you know a, a, a Deshaun Watson yeah. who's improving and an Aaron Rodgers who's a Hall yeah, of Famer you know honestly the amount of hits or sacks that Brock Osweiler took last year really wasn't a huge issue we, we've been lamenting how poor this offensive line is and, and shouldn't really necessarily paint that picture necessarily for what 2016 turned out to be but they enter 2017 in a much different position you know some positive some negative they don't have a right tackle just point blank, and that's no matter what they end up with, unless they find somebody that's not currently on this team. Is Derek Newton isn't playing this year, and they obviously used Chris Clark quite a bit last year. He is an ideal bench tackle, a swing tackle. You need him for 15 plays this week. You need him for a spot spot the next week. That's great. If you need him six consecutive weeks to be taking 70-plus snaps for you, it becomes an issue, and they, mm-hmm. they experienced that uh, last season. His last game notwithstanding, where he and the line did a fantastic job against Khalil Mack and the rest of the their their last win, I should say, against the Raiders, yep. when they, they really didn't have an issue with that. And again, overall, it wasn't a big problem. A positive sign is, have they anchored themselves in the middle with Nick Martin, you know, I don't even think there's a position battle there. He's the starting center, and I think we'll see him take all the necessary reps a number one would take, not even extra reps that a guy who's never played before will take. I think he will play out 
this training camp, this preseason, in terms of game reps, as if he's won the job and it is his job. It's a question now of who flanks him on both sides, because we can talk about the tackle issues, but we can't ignore the guard issues. And, and right. I mean, we're getting to the heart of the matter that they have one solid spot today. They add a second solid spot when Dwayne returns. But the other three spots, 60% of your line is, is a bit of a question mark. Jeff Allen looks to be in a little bit better shape, which is step one towards looking like the guy they signed from Kansas City. Did not have a very good season a year ago. Xavier Suofilo has never established himself as a clear starter. He's started for them, but is, has played like a guy they'd be looking to constantly replace, and I think that's no different in this camp as well. David Quesenberry would be the most unbelievable story in the history yeah. of, of football if Agreed. he becomes a starter or, heck, just makes the team. And I think he's going to. And I think he's going to show them that he gives them an option of someone who can get reps for this team. Long way to go, six-plus weeks of camp. But clearly, if the line is an issue, what you have in Watson is a player who can recover from, oh, my God, jailbreak, or this didn't get blocked the way I right. wanted. How? But then how quickly does he recognize, I've got to start moving to my right. I've got to spin out of this and get back to my right. left. How does he feel the pressure? What's his quarterback clock like in the pocket of an NFL situation yeah and I think that's a perfect example of that too is to say what's that clock in his head because we've seen Sean the best quarterbacks the 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 golden and the greatest over the years Mm -hmm. have that clock in their head Uh, and it's curious to see some quarterbacks nowadays that have that clock let's use David Carr for example yeah I remember watching him at Fresno State when he was in college so I'm dating myself here but I do remember watching (laughs) Fresno State that's cool uh yeah I know right (laughs) um but, you know, had a lot of time to prepare yeah. for things, ran more of a spread offense out yep. there, so we had it. But, you know, <laughs> I, what I remember seeing is as the years and the hits in particular came mm-hmm. on, that clock got a whole lot faster than what it was before. What do you want to see from the offense through this training camp here, in particular the receivers and the tight ends and how they can help not only just, let's say, a rookie quarterback, but help Savage as well become even better. Well, they need to establish a second and probably third receiving threat, reliable receiving threat behind De- uh, behind DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, whether it's one of the tight ends or both the tight ends, or I, th- I think it needs to be one of them needs to be Will Fuller. Um, you know, Will Fuller needs to take that step in year two. I think he showed some things in his rookie year that should give you optimism that he's going to be a, a pretty good player for this football team. But he needs to improve his hands, obviously. You know, he, he's got to get better at catching the football. I'm anxious to see if the improvement of the tight ends that we saw last year statistically is something that really truly was improvement or if it was a function of they were getting a lot of catches because by the time week seven rolled around, Brock Osweiler just decided he wasn't going to be looking anywhere further than like 15 or 20 yards down the field on a regular basis. So I'm anxious to see that. Um, How they incorporate Deontay Foreman into this offense is kind of a big deal. You know, Lamar Miller was – this is one of those things that people well he was a thousand yard rusher last year well if you get as many carries as Lamar Miller gets you better damn well rush for a thousand yards being a thousand yard rusher is not as big a deal as people think it is statistically if you're a bell cow kind of back and he got treated like a bell cow kind of back last year so Lamar Miller needs to be better Um, Deontay Foreman you know incorporating him into the offense somehow they just they have so many spots on this team and I'm 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 uh, you know, diverting here, uh, you know, I'm kind of going a little tangential, but 
Um, but Wex did a really good job of, of laying out kind of the question marks on this line. This team, just in general, the theme for me is that where they're good, they're really good. They've got really good players in a lot of important spots on this team. You know, the defensive line, obviously, a couple really good linebackers. I think Kevin Johnson's got a chance to be a really good player in the secondary for them. Um, and offensively, DeAndre Hopkins, when he's got a good quarterback throwing to him, you know, he doesn't have three guys of, draped on him. Yeah, and he's and he's he's one of the best receivers in football. But where they still have question marks, it's not just that they have question marks. But it's the the guys battling for these spots are guys who are like late round picks and undrafted guy. Like it's almost like they like I don't know if there were just too many holes in the dike to plug and they just didn't have enough resources to do it. But boy, they've got a ton of cap space that they that they're walking into next season with. So maybe that's maybe this is a longer play than we think it is. They're going to pay lip service to 2017, but behind the scenes they're going. This is really more of a two-year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And next year, since, especially since we don't have our first and second round picks, we're going to try to fill in some of this stuff through free agency. I don't know, but some of these Achilles heels, Wex, on the team that I'll call them, like the, the posi- it's not just that there is a position battle, it's the bodies that are battling for the position. Let me see if I can make the position, the wide receiver position, sound good on the Texans. The Texans' top four receivers will be a pair of first-round picks and a pair of third-round picks. Yeah. That sounds not so bad, right? That sounds like a good receiving quarter. Right fairly there. recent, too. Now I'm going to tell you it's Hopkins, Strong, Fuller, and Miller. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound feel quite as good. As good. No, it doesn't feel as you good. you got two rookies. you got a, a guy who has yet to establish himself. Some flashes here and there in Jalen Strong. Yeah. And a far less productive DeAndre Hopkins. Sean kind of laid out some of the reasons why. And you were asking him, what does this offense need to do? They need more chunk plays. They need DeAndre Hopkins not to be you know, midway through the second quarter with three catches for 11 yards. Yeah. That needs to be four catches for 54 yards. Mm-hmm. They need Jalen Strong to have two 17-yard catches. They need to not be always at third and seven and third and four and third yeah. and five mm-hmm. when you had second and eight and you can pick up 18 yards on a completion. Mm-hmm. Or Lamar Miller isn't turned into Stacy Mack, who's trying to run through the line 25 times a game. He came here from Miami, and the game they played against Miami that basically earned him his deal here in Houston, well, that's how the Dolphins used him. They didn't use him as much, and I'm okay with how much they used him here in Houston, but the plays that they were calling for him and the offense that they designed around a running back who's not best suited for that, I give him a ton of credit for the production he had last year in a role that his body's not best suited for. His quick feet and his ability to get to the outside is what he showed as a Dolphin, and they used him sparingly maybe to keep him fresh. I really thought they underused him, but then the Texans, it's not that they overused him. They just didn't put him in in the best spot for him to be greatly successful for them. So maybe with Foreman, with Tyler Irvin, should he emerge as some sort of additional offensive weapon, they can start putting Miller in a position where he can go out there and gain 25 yards on a couple carries during a drive that maybe ends up in Tom Savage's first touchdown pass. Yeah, I, I, we, I think we may learn a lot early in the season about just how constrictive the quarterback situation was on this team in 2016 mm-hmm. based on play calling, based on how they use mm-hmm. certain guys. Wex, you bring up a great point about the down and distance situations. It was almost a lock last year that when this team was in second and 10, they were going to run the football to try to somehow make third and whatever it was more manageable for the you know the big quarterback with training wheels that they had back there and the problem was all 31 other teams knew it was coming so they were in they were usually in third nine right you know because they were running on second and long all the time I you know so will the play calling be a little bit different was that play calling last year just because they felt so 
they, they felt so strongly that they didn't want the quarterback screwing things up, or there was potential for this quarterback to screw things up. Um, that they, you know, they went ultra conservative with with play calling. Um, you know, again, the tight ends, how they get used this year with actual what we hope is competent. All we need is competent quarterback play. Mm-hmm. With competent quarterback play, do they get used differently? Our guys for those chunk plays are, you know. I don't know when the last time it was that we saw receivers running free in the secondary on this and, and, team. And that's what was back to my point to say if you get Deshaun, even Tom Savage. Tom Savage, I think, has is is sneaky slippery. One of those, you know, that he can move. He's not, you know, he's not going to beat a lot of guys out there. If he can just navigate the pocket can, a little, right? But he can navigate. Yeah. I think the that's pocket, where right? his, I think that's a good term. His for that. understanding yeah, right. of what not, might need to be done behind the line right. yeah. can earn him a couple of extra ticks, a couple of extra reads. Right. I don't know that somebody he's gonna, to get out and get yeah. open. Yeah, I think getting open and getting free, getting yeah. finding that gap between where's the safety, where's the linebacker. Yeah. You get in there, and that goes to what you were saying, Wax. When you see other teams that are successful. Like, oh, what's that? Oh, the Patriots that are known for a guy named Julian Edelman who makes his living and a lot of money over the last couple of years by running these 12, 15, 18 chunks off every single time he catches the ball. You notice that the Patriots managed to find, and they maybe found another one, receivers who have certain skills that fit what they'd like to do. And Danny Amendola is not going to succeed in every offense in the NFL. Teams that he wouldn't succeed for, quite frankly, are dumb. Because he has skills that you should be able to utilize. The Patriots mm-hmm. do it better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Edelman, and now we think maybe Brandon Cooks fills a role there that, again, he was very productive for the Saints. And I think some yeah. of us are afraid of how productive he might become with the Patriots. A lot of this stuff, though, and, and we keep kind of dancing around what I think is a huge part of this year's quarterback situation in Houston versus Every other year, Bill O'Brien's been an NFL head coach with this team and the quarterbacks. He's very anti-turnover, which is normal, but almost to, to the point where he knows the capabilities of his quarterbacks, so he's even more anti-turnover. I can't have Brian Hoyer out there throwing two picks because he's not going to throw three touchdowns to offset it. And Ryan Mallett's the same way, and Ryan Fitzpatrick's the same way. There's a possibility these two quarterbacks are different. I think most people feel like that's the biggest thing that Watson brings to the table is your rookie quarterback. Are you okay having him out there making mistakes because he's still so capable of counteracting the mistakes with greatness. If you're going to make two mistakes, you know, Brett Favre was the king of this. He's a turnover machine. Andrew Luck's been a turnover machine, but they have so many good plays in their arm left. They can overcome it. He can throw 35 touchdown passes and he can throw four in a game where he has two fumbles that get lost. They've never had that with their quarterback here. So the conservative game planning is strictly there for, I'm okay with my quarterback going zero on both columns. No touchdowns, but no turnovers. And at some point, you got to have a quarterback capable of overcoming the mistakes because you got to let them loose. Yeah, yeah, and I think that just lends itself back to the very beginning of what we were talking about here is, you know, will we see the reins loosen up in O'Brien's hands eventually? I hope so, because I think if that's the case – then this offense can finally get up to speed to what the other side of the football has been for this team. Their mm-hmm. their bell cow, their bread and butter for the last, what, five, six years now has been the defense. So introducing the defense, a familiar face uh, was spotted on the field for the first time since uh, 2015 there as well. So I'm just going to throw it out there. What's J.J. Watt's impact this year? Oh wow! You're asking before he's even put pads on. Yep. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm doing the typical, yeah, typical news. I, I'm gonna, question here, Sean. I, I'm going to assume that what we're seeing from him, uh, you know, physically, like he looks like JJ Watt again, 
which he didn't when he came back to the sidelines in December. He he looked like a he looked like a center in, in the NBA. Oh, he, mm-hmm. he was skinny. Yeah. Um but he looks like he's back to physically where he was before. He's you know, he says he's feeling good. I guess he was doing stuff at practice today that was, you know, pretty should make people pretty optimistic. We just don't know until he's out there having to do all that bear wrestling for 60 plays a game how it's going to go. Uh, assuming health, I, I think I you know, I don't know if he's if he's a 20 and a half sack guy only because with the emergence of Clowney and with Whitney Merciless, another mm, year better. There's right. there's a lot of sacks to go around, but I think just you know just sort of subjectively looking at him and going, that's JJ Watt, high impact JJ Watt. I think that's the guy. We get close to that guy again. I think that to me, the measurement for JJ Watt's impact will be: is this defense more than just the best defense from a yardage allowed standpoint? Are they because they didn't get to the quarterback very well last year? They didn't force teams to turn the ball over last mm-hmm. year very much. They did do those things when JJ was at peak JJ before. So that'll be the meat to me, the measure of how good JJ Watt is, is he impacting this defense's ability to turn teams over and to get after the quarterback. The third down defense and disruptive. Those are the most important things you need to have in, the, in a defense. They were great at keeping people teams from churning up yardage against them, but they never turned them over. And it, it didn't help the offense. It didn't help the team nearly as much as the 2015 defense. And it's been interesting that Wade Phillips' defenses to the ones that they've now run with Romeo Cornell and, and now Mike Vrabel, they've been remarkably inconsistent with similar personnel and similar scheme in being disruptive and creating turnovers. One year they're creating a billion turnovers. The very next year they're setting a league record for fewest turnovers created. And it, it, it seems like it should never happen, and yet it has. So we'll just roll the dice and say, well, this is a year they're going to do it. It'd be nice. But when you have those three guys up front, an emerging talent, uh, say those three guys, Merciless, Watt, and Clowney, uh, an emerging talent and DJ Reader, I, I do think mm-hmm. they're going to get help from Covington and I think Watkins, the other, the other rookie from Clemson, uh, will have an impact up front for this team. So they, they should be very, very good. at. If they're very good at those positions, that means they will be disruptive. They don't get any, any kind of pressure from their other linebackers, the interior group of Cushing and and McKinney, and and they obviously blitz incredibly infrequently from the secondary. If you look at their historical numbers on sacks from uh, defensive backs, it's insanely low. But you got to have the pressure up front. You know, Sean mentioned the name Kevin Johnson, and it blows me away how little he's been discussed versus how important he is to this defense. Mm-hmm. You could argue the best player on the Texans' defense last year is currently wearing a Jaguars uniform. A.J. Boye was that important to the defense last year. They decided to offer him less money than the Jaguars were willing to offer him, and he was smart to take the Jaguars' money and leave. I think, it, I, I think if they can overcome that mistake, which I believe it was, I provided Kevin Johnson comes back and plays the same way Boye did, and this is a former first-round pick. He's played well when he's been out there, but if we're talking about November and December football, sadly, Kevin Johnson's basically been a zero because he's been hurt when the seasons have worn down. He's had two kind of freakish type of injuries, so I don't want to call him brittle, but he hasn't been able to finish the season. Yeah, it's a, that, that was a game of guts poker to let A.J. Boye go, which sounds weird to say. Like, if we were saying that this time last year, we'd be like, wow. Maybe he ascended you mean back. You they like, cut who? him at the beginning, yeah. of, at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the regular season right. and somebody yeah. claimed right. him off waivers? Right, yeah. 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 It's, so it's... It, it's uh, there, you know. There was a time where it would have felt weird to say that, but and I, I don't think AJ Boye's progress as a player was any sort of 
fluky thing where you know there was there was nothing in there where you go okay well he's a he's a candidate to regress because he had done so many things for this team he was good in man coverage he was one of the best in zone coverage last year in all the NFL he was their designated guy to cover tight ends at one point for this team or he'd cover speed guys down the field like he was a really versatile corner this wasn't a guy who just it wasn't like Larry Brown winning the MVP in the Super Bowl because he had a couple picks that just happened to hit him right in the middle of the chest like Thanks, this was Neil. a guy Thanks, Neil O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah this was a guy who was a really good player and the, the the risky part of it is not just letting him go but to Wex's point my guess is the solution that they feel to replace Boyer is they look at Kevin Johnson and go well, we didn't have him for the second half of the year and we had a great defense even once Kevin Johnson was gone if he comes back I feel like their solution for AJ Boyer is a two-pronged thing of getting J.J. Watt back in the front seven. Mm -hmm. That's going to make us a better secondary because we're going to have the addition of Watt to pressure the quarterback. And and Kevin Johnson will be the guy who literally replaces A.J. Boye on the depth chart. And those are just really risky things because of the, the fact that the, not just that the season ended for injuries with those guys, but with Johnson, this is a repetitive thing now. It's a foot. And, and with J.J., we just don't know until he right. gets out there and starts playing again. You, you make me want want to yearn for the days of, of Gary Kubiak as head coach talking about Super injuries. loyal. Uh, Dude, Boye Kev, Kevin Johnson, he, he's got a foot. Uh, he got how's, oh. how's JJ doing how's his back I, he got dinged oh I thought you were talking about the fact that Kubiak would have given AJ Boye oh, like lifetime an contract. extension yeah, yeah. that's his loyal guy right there yep, yep. no I, I agree with both of you I, th I think that uh, I was I was very disappointed to see him go I thought he played a much more pivotal role than I think what a lot of the public understood yeah you know we heard his name or you'd hear it and you'd say okay it's AJ Boye again but realize glue guys like that you know and that's such a, a cliche term but it really is true true though and especially with the more defensive unit yeah. Yeah. and i think right. the way you, you laid it out is probably what took place in the meeting rooms and it, it's totally realistic and even though i called it a mistake i understand if, if i viewing the coaching staff and the personnel people the same way they could very easily sit in the room at the beginning of 2016 and say i sure hope kevin johnson plays this way and they fill in the blank and that's exactly how aj boy yeah, turned yeah. out to play the 2016 season which they feel like is exactly who kevin johnson can be should be was on the way to becoming and what they drafted it's just a risky be, right. move when you consider his injury history is limited field time and you've obviously hurt your depth huge i'm a huge fan of robert nelson i think that was a very shrewd pickup something that rick smith for some reason is very very good at finding players from out of nowhere middle of the season whatever the case may be i think they have a, a, a player in nelson i think he can help this team but he He's going to have to help this team because they've eliminated some of their depth issues, and the other two corners um, are a little older, let's yeah. say. I don't want to call them long in the tooth. That's not one of my favorite phrases. I yeah. hear it all the time, yeah. and I get it, but they're just a little older. Getting there at that point. Uh, okay, so before we wrap up here, guys, I just want to ask you both a quick question. We, we, we know the expectations, obviously, are high you know, for the Texans this year. You, you, get, you get a taste of it, as they say, a taste of it, and it's yeah. now similar to what the Astros are doing. You get a taste of it. Now it's time to take it to the promised land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are some intangibles, Sean, that you think you need to see in this training camp that will give you a little more confidence that, hey, maybe they can get past this first round of the playoffs? Maybe they can try to take a run at New England. Well, the quarterbacks have to play well. It sounds like a really element, elementary answer, but if these are quarterbacks that – if it still looks the same way the quarterback position has looked coming out of training camp the last three years – then, then the best they can hope for is for the AFC South to be down again and they get a home playoff game and maybe win it, you know, like they did last year right. you know, when they caught Connor Cook. So it's almost like, and I'm going to give you a couple other bullet points, but I like it's almost like I say all this to say that I, I could give you five things 
and one of them's the quarterback situation. Well, if that one's not worked out, then the other four don't really matter. You right. know what I mean? Um, so they, the quarterback position needs to at least look competent coming out of training camp. And I think needs, I will say needs to look good in the preseason. Brock looked good in the preseason last year. So you don't know until you get to week one, but the, the quarterback play obviously needs to be somewhere, you know, approaching the middle of the pack. I think if they get middle of the pack quarterback play, then you're talking about a team that depending on matchups and depending on how the rest of the division progresses could, could make a run at finally winning a second playoff game. Um, I, you know, one thing that doesn't get talked about a lot is special teams. This is a horrible, horrible, horrible team. Uh, when it comes to special special teams over the last three years, and really it actually predates O'Brien, <laughs> going back to the old uh, Joe Marciano days at, at special teams coach, but just specific to, to O'Brien, they've been 28th, 32nd, and 32nd in special teams on Football Outsiders the three years that he's been here. You hope that maybe... And what's weird is O'Brien every year, like he'll bring up certain guys, like if in training camp, if you were to ask him about Jonathan Grimes or Alfred Blue or Brian Peters, I feel like there's like 12 guys that if you ask O'Brien specifically about those guys, one of the first things, you're, you know, and he's a big help on special teams. Well, okay, if all these guys are such big helps on special teams and we just why rattled off suck? like 13 yeah. names, why do they stink so bad? Right. And I don't think, you know, and I think Larry Izzo, I, like he gives me optimism that he's going to coach these guys up because of what, you know, he's a smart guy and he's he was a special teamer and, and all that. But I think special teams, you need to see things out of camp that that they're better on their coverage teams, they're better on their return team. They need to identify a return guy who can, who can affect – field position, you know, especially if the offense is going to struggle out of the shoot with offensive line issues. So I think special teams and I think solving solving at least feeling okay about the the mystery spots on this depth chart. You know, at least feeling okay that if it's Brennan Scarlett at outside linebacker, you're going to get from him what John Simon gave you the last few years. If it's going to be you know, I don't know who it's safety next to Andre Howe, but if it's going to be Curtis Drummond or Corey Moore, okay, well just don't be Raheem Moore. You know what I mean? Like, be Corey Moore. Um, you know, so feeling better. And then, obviously, the offensive line. That's the biggest thing to me on the offensive side of the ball, aside from quarterback, is that um, they, you know, Nick Martin, you know, did, did you know, was the injury, did that not set him back at all? Do you feel good about him starting at center and, you know, Suofilo, all, the, all those things? Is I mean, there at least cool. a little part of you that hopes uh, Curtis Drummond gets the gig for any potential – Mr. Drummond Different references strokes, that you'll yeah, be able to trot I, out. I would, I would say there will be a lot. Yes, yeah, so I, I will get a lot of what you're talking about Willis in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I will pl- I will bump. If he gets an interception, I promise to bump in with the Different Strokes theme song. Oh, you have to. You know, we'll maybe do some uh, Different Strokes trivia to give away tickets I to like games it. and things like that. See if you can get Dana Plato on the on the line. That's um, going to be a yeah, tough that's, one. That's going to be a trick. That, that's Under Sean from the true professional. I don't pull that off. I don't have those kind of strings. I think she's out of that now, Sean. Where's this call? All coming from Dana, <laughs> well below. <laughs> Good to have you with us on the program. Yeah, how much am I? Uh, how much am I paying for yeah. this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think some of those points on, on what they have to see. Clearly, Sean's right. Obviously, so much of it rests on on what the quarterback does and filling in some of those holes. You know, it took us thirty some odd minutes to, to mention the name Brennan Scarlett, and depending on how the Texans kind of shuffle the deck with the personnel they have at their disposal because Watt's health, again, if he's back and you have Merciless and you have Clowney, 
they're going to take such a high percentage of your defensive snaps, you're going to see those three guys line up in, in what we would normally call odd positions. But John Simon did that a tremendous amount last year. He lined up over the center. He allowed them to be much more creative and much more athletic with their front six or seven, depending on personnel groups, instead of having multiple interior, what we would consider typical interior linemen, they'd have much more athletic people. And I think that's where Brennan Scarlett really actually might be a huge help for this team. I thought he he really had a good brief look from the coaches before he got hurt and then again after he got hurt when he was able to go out there and show a little bit I thought it was a great pickup in the offseason one of just three guys last year that made the team as an undrafted guy I think there is a real bright future for him and depending on the health of the guys that play that same position or how they decide to use some of them I think he might be my sleeper for for the team for the season on someone who might make a very surprising large impact out there but you know Sean's right in terms of the preseason what do we what do we see out of Tom Savage and or Deshaun Watson and it makes us sure we're going to see it in weeks 1 through 16, right. 1 through 17 of the upcoming regular season. Always dangerous uh, to play that game, but they've got to show command of, of a drive, let alone the offense. Start a drive at the 20, finish it in the end zone six, seven plays later. We saw so little of that during the season with all the quarterbacks they've used really over the, the time that, that O'Brien's been here. The offense has been the one consistent issue with all the different quarterbacks, they've got to be more consistent and be able to take advantage of field position. The special teams has got to basically just say, Tyler Irvin, you're our return guy. You're not getting enough snaps if he's not getting enough snaps with the offense. Will Fuller's a weapon, but I think they'll pick and choose his spots. Yeah. Tyler Irvin in year two should be should be much more comfortable handling both of those responsibilities. He should. It looks like to me he should be both the kick and punt returner for this team moving forward. We saw it once last year where he put the ball in the end zone. And I think that they just need a little bit more from that. Their coverage units are awful, so that obviously has to change. Yeah, that definitely has to change. Lots of questions going into Texans training camp for this 2017 season. Uh, Wex will be out there next week. Sean, you're headed out there when? I'm uh, Ted Johnson, and I will be out there the week of the 31st through the 4th. Okay, so, so we'll be doing our show. We'll literally we'll be at practice. I think practice each day is, is like 9.30 to noon here local right. time. It's mm-hmm. 10.30 to 1.00 up in West Virginia. So we'll be at practice every morning uh, with observations. We'll probably be doing some Facebook Live stuff as well, but we'll be on 2 to 6 here on Sports Radio 610, uh, giving you all the the stuff that we saw at practice each day. So it'll be the best coverage you're going to get anywhere on the radio here in the city. That's that, And he means it, too. Yeah, no, I'm He's not He's not lying. just saying that. I'm not lying. He's, he wouldn't lie. I, no, not to, to the Justin Stapleton audience. Ooh. No, it's a discerning Ooh. audience. Ooh. I'm about to go third person here. He's trying to out. put out a discerning product for a discerning <laughs> audience. Look That's at this I guy. Do, yeah. That's it. what the best people do. Uh, it certainly is. All right, Wex, so uh, upcoming in mere hours, you are headed to Cooperstown. Yeah, my trip to, uh, to White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, will come on the backside of the game in Charlotte. Their first preseason game comes against the Panthers, so I'll be there for that game and will make my way to West Virginia from there for the remainder of their West Virginia portion of camp. So the practices with the Patriots, I'll be there for that as well and then be back here for the game on the uh, weekend. But yes, the weekend in Cooperstown is what I'll get to enjoy. I think they will see a great number of Houston fans there. Number five and number seven jerseys, I'm sure, will litter mm. Cooperstown mm-hmm. just as they did a year ago with all of the Biggio fans. The first opportunity for Astros fans to really enjoy one of their own, receiving the greatest honor. Now they get to do it again just two short years later. It's been very fun for me, having grown up here in Houston, and then covering the Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio era teams. You know, was in celebrations with them in Astrodome postseasons, mm-hmm. in Minute Maid Park postseasons. Mm-hmm. 
and to see how Jeff's kind of taken this ride from the day he found out to meeting with the media for the first time to being out in the public with fans and media for the first time. And then just this last week did a conference call with the rest of the uh, inductees for the Hall of Fame. And he even then seemed like a little bit different guy, much more at ease with this, not in awe, not unsure of how he's supposed to feel and what he's going to say. And I think it should have Houston fans kind of excited about, well, what is he going to say when he's up there? And and who are all the people that are going to want to be there with him? So we'll have uh, a couple of specials surrounding both of these topics on Saturday night Mm -hmm. uh, from Cooperstown. You'll see me, uh, Houston to the Hall, Jeff Bagwell special. That comes on at 730. Preceding that, Training Camp 2017, Randy and Keith Garvin are already on site, as we've mentioned, covering the Texans. We'll have both of those for you. And then Sunday afternoon, right there on Click2Houston.com, you can watch Jeff Bagwell get inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I'll have it all covered for you at 5 o'clock, and then, of course, on Sports Sunday right after the news. Best company man in the business right there. Wex is the man. He is the man. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me as well. If you uh, are not following either of these two fine gentlemen on Twitter or Facebook, you need to do so now. As Sean mentioned, there'll be lots of material coming up. Maybe Sean will let you know what the T stands for in Sean T. Pendergast. Ooh. That's a teaser. I yeah. like it. Uh, I'm trying to think of a clever thing that it could stand for. Thanks, Wags. Maybe you were a coach at one time, and your favorite program revolved around Craig T. Nelson. I don't know. Yeah. Booker we'll T. Ahead. Washington. Maybe there we go. A lot of people yeah. have tried it's that out. tribute to Booker T. Washington. I was just going to say. Yeah. There's, there's a local... Because when people uh, look at me, they're like, that guy looks like he would do a tribute to Booker T. Washington. Yeah. yeah. Well, if he was going off of a tribute to a maybe a television program, he'd probably go with a Twitter handle more like... At Kamish Chickless. Uh, yes. This is true. <laughs> oh, dude. The, for, for those of you that have never seen a picture of Sean, A, go to his Twitter page or go to his Facebook page to find out. It is starking, stark, just stunning. And maybe for another soon to be named podcast, yeah. he can share with you his in person visit with one Michael Chickless. Oh, I've seen the picture. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I would love his story. <laughs> yes. We will save that for another soon to be named podcast. I, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm a, I love I'll, it. I'll be a regular on the soon to be named podcast. Is there a time frame for the podcast to be named or is it just. I think this be... is starting to take off. This I think Justin's going to be married, married to this yeah, pretty much I was the name. Say, at this don't point. name it. Yeah. No, I, I don't plan on it. Uh, the bosses like it this way. So yeah, you know what? It's very We're kind of circular, you know? It's like it's, when you're looking at that picture that yep. has a mirror into a mirror into a mirror. I like it. That's how we roll. It's right the exact here. same we thing. Like, we like Zen. Yeah. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me tonight. Pleasure. You got All it. right. Everyone, uh, enjoy yourselves, and we will be back next week as well. Exciting topics coming up. Well, you just have to go to the page. Click to Houston.com. Check out the soon-to-be podcast page. We'll show you some of the uh, updates that we've got. And uh, if you uh, happen to miss this or know someone that wants to check out the podcast, uh, you can always get it on uh, all of our Facebook pages. We'll make sure we share it on Twitter pages as well. Have a great night, everyone, and we'll talk to you next time.